Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my dear friend, Emily Tuttle. Emily is a humanitarian videographer and producer, an artist, and an advocate for people whose voices aren't being heard. She's amazing, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. In our conversation today, Emily and I are going to be talking about how to show up and make a difference in our messy, broken, beautiful world. And here's what I mean by that. You guys know this, but all you have to do is turn on the news or go to Facebook for 2.5 seconds to see that there is a lot going on in our world these days. It seems like there's a new problem, a new major issue every single day, and it feels like our country disagrees more than ever about how those problems should be solved. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I feel overwhelmed by this all the time. I feel overwhelmed by the amount of information that's out there. I feel overwhelmed as I hear angry arguments on either side. I feel even more overwhelmed when I do understand at least part of what's going on because then I realize I have no idea what to do next. This terrible thing is happening in the world and I have no idea how to help. Now, when I'm feeling bowled over by the brokenness of this world, overwhelmed by information and at a total loss for how to help, there's one person in my life that I always reach out to first, and that's my friend Emily. Emily is engaging in the conversations that are going on today in such a beautiful way. And she's not just engaging in the conversations, she's taking action. I love this about her, and I know that the world needs more of us to follow in her example. So today, Emily's going to help us figure out how. She's going to help us figure out how to keep up with current events without being swallowed by them. She's going to help us figure out how to have hard conversations with people who disagree with us. She's going to help us figure out how to help, and she'll break right through that lie that we're not equipped or smart or strong enough to help, and that is just the beginning. Now, I do want to say that in a way, the things that we're going to be talking about in today's episode are a bit political, but I want you to know this is not about taking one side or another. We're not fighting here or taking any sort of stand or making any sort of statement. This episode is really just about figuring out what we all personally believe, how to do that, and then figuring out what to do with that belief. We're talking about how to make the world a better place in a way that only we can. I am so excited for this episode. So, you ready to dive in? Here's my conversation with Emily. So, guys, I am really, really excited about who I have on the podcast today and our topic for today. This is going to be a really good one and a really important conversation. So I'm really excited. Um, I'm sitting here with my really near, dear, real life friend, Emily Tuttle. Emily, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to do this and get to hang out with you. I know. I know. This is like, I say this all the time, but this is the best part of podcasts is it's getting to hang out with really amazing women and like really dear friends of mine and it's work, which is great. Everyone, everyone do this, start a podcast. (laughs) Um, Okay. So before we get into all the things that we have to talk about today, which there are a lot, I would love it if you could just introduce yourself to us, tell us like who you are, what you do, which there are a couple different pieces of that. I know. And I give you fair warning. I would love for you to give us a fun fact. (laughs) I am Emily, and I'm from Atlanta, and it's recently been made clear to me that I say Elena when I say Atlanta, so I mean Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, you People do say it. Well, you for sure say it weird. Atlanta. Who understands me? They're like, where are you from? Atlanta. Atlanta. Um, yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> 
I do a bunch of kind of random things. I have an Etsy shop, which I think we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. Um, and I do some video production, like freelance for different organizations. And I spend a lot of time in Guatemala, which we're also going to talk about later. And yeah, I met you through kind of through the world race, through working for the world race afterwards. And we've just been really good friends ever since then. So I'm really excited to join in with your podcast. Fun fact about me. I don't really know how fun it is, but um, I was always a pretty good student, but my worst grade ever was in college in my table tennis class, which first of all was totally pointless. I don't know why we had to take table tennis, (laughs) but um, it was the least athletic one of the PE classes available. So I chose it. Uh Uh-huh. And I ended up worse than when I started. (laughs) Like I was literally ranked at the bottom of the class. And after the first class, I like the next day was telling my roommates like, man, I'm so sore. Like, why am I so sore? And they asked me like, did you work out? And I was like, well, no, I should, but I didn't. And then I realized like, guys, I'm sore from table tennis class because I missed the ball hundreds of times. So I did like 300 squats picking up the ball. (laughs) Oh my God. This makes me so happy. This is so, this is absolutely what people need to know about you, like to kick this off. This is really good. Yeah. I'm so bad. Like I got a horrible grade in it. And then my grandpa who is like pretty old found out that I took a table tennis class and he's like, yes, let's play ping pong. And he beat me after I graduated from the table tennis class. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. I feel like it's important to know about people, like what they're really good at, which we're going to get to that in a minute. And then also what they're really bad at. It just like really levels the playing field. So I really love that about you. (laughs) Yeah. Hand-eye coordination is not my strong suit. (laughs) Not your your strong suit. That's really good. Um, This may be Okay. This is totally ridiculous, but I really feel like this is the moment to share this. Um, I have thought about my fun fact a lot and I've had a couple different ones. I might just keep throwing like random fun facts in, but just to like, kind of, I don't know, even the score, maybe there was a season in my life. I was in third grade where I had braces, glasses, headgear, those like rubber bands that attach your mouth to your your top braces, to your bottom braces. And I was in the chess club all at the same time. You were in the chess club? I was, and I'm actually not very good at chess. I'm okay. I know how to play. But yeah, for being for someone who's in the chess club, like in her formative years, still not good at it. So I know the horse moves in an L and that's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. I guess I know how to play, but I'm not good at it. Um, Okay. Well, I'm really glad that everyone knows these things about us. And I love that you mentioned how we met because I was going to mention that too. We, yeah, we both did the world race. We worked together at the organization that puts on the world race, which was really fun because we, uh, we worked together in this like tiny little office with like five of our closest girlfriends and Carl and (laughs) all of us were in this tiny little closet together. And so I love that you, like, you know, Carl, you knew Carl, you've known Carl longer than I have. Um, and you guys got this really fun front row seat as we like started dating and like, you know, you got to hear like him announce to our office that we were in a relationship and I don't know. Anyway. So I love, um, that we, that you know, our, our marriage just, so well, so fun. Yeah, um, I need to emphasize just how small this office was. They have since turned an office that like seven or eight of us shared into a deep freezer. So it's literally <laughs> the size of a freezer that seven of us were sharing. Yeah, and so all girls and Carl. To your entire relationship. Yes, like front rosy. Yeah, so if we were mad at each other, you guys knew. Like there, right. I, there were for sure times where you guys would be like, okay, Carl, you need to apologize. Stephanie, you need to apologize. Yeah, so it's it's really, really fun. The other thing is that we, so we were really good friends there. And um, 
our friendship went a lot deeper kind of towards the end of that season because first of all, I feel like we have to give credit where credit's due. Our our dear friend Susie um, mm-hmm. invited a group of us to be part of a small group with her. And I feel like we need to apologize to Susie as we say, neither of us wanted to do it, right? No, small groups were like never really my thing. And I just did it, but I didn't really want to. <laughs> well, and like all of us were like, we can't, I don't know. I might want to watch TV that night. Like we just, and we had no good reason for not wanting to be in the group, but we just were kind of dragging our heels, but, um, or dragging our feet. But, um, we ended up committing to this small group and we did about two weeks of it before on a random day. I've talked about this a little bit on a random day. All of us lost our jobs. Um, they did a huge downsizing at our, at the organization where we were working and all of us, including Carl and everyone in our little deep freezer, all lost our jobs (laughs) on the same day. And it was really almost everyone in our little small group. And so, um, it was crazy how overnight that little small group went from this obligation that we were kind of humoring Susie to be a part of to like a straight up lifeline for us. And I feel like it was that season going through that loss together and being in this little group where we could process it and like really walk through it together that, has really solidified our friendship. Like I, I feel like we became so much better friends through that experience than we ever could have been otherwise. So would you, would you say that? Oh, for sure. Like I was going to say the word lifeline. It's, you know, it was like, yeah, we need to go to small group tonight. And then suddenly it was like, I have no job, no church, no home, therefore no friends. Like I was just grasping to y'all and, you know, we call each other our pocket people, like our little group text you know, we're in our pockets wherever we go in the world. And anytime we need to process through something, I just pull my phone out and text y'all and, you know, get a quick yay or nay on it or a quick opinion, or, you know, y'all can affirm me or pump me up if I'm like stressing about something. Um, but that trust was built through this like really jarring season of our lives where suddenly we had no clue what we were doing in our mid (laughs) twenties. Right. Right. If y'all hear a dog barking, that's Chipper, who you'll love. You need to follow Emily on Instagram. You'll get to meet Chipper. But Chipper wants to be part of this this conversation. He just might. He also is the mailman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that you said that, Emma. I'm glad you mentioned pocket people. And the reason that I really wanted to mention that was because I know that a lot of the women listening might be going through seasons where it feels like the rug has been totally ripped out from under them. And maybe they lost their jobs like we did, or maybe they've lost someone they really love or a relationship or a dream, or, you know, there's a lot of loss that we go through in life. But I feel like that season taught me something that even in the midst of, of really painful losses, and that was a really painful loss for all of us, one, God is there and he was so present for us and he walked us all the way through it. He took such good care of us, but he's also providing in like, so he, I mean, he provided for us in so many ways, but one of the ways was through each other. Um, and I found a photo the other day, I think Facebook like reminded me of it. Um, but it's of you and me and another good friend of ours. And I think we're at target at like 1130 getting a frozen pizza because we were going to just watch him. I mean, for like a month, we, sat together and like hung out and had deep heart to hearts to like four o'clock in the morning and ate frozen pizza and made margaritas. (laughs) And I mean, we had no job, so we had nothing else to do, but, um, it was thinking back on that season is, is actually really a sweet thing for me because one, God used that season to propel us all into new, new things and things we never would have done otherwise. Um, but also he really provided like a safe place for us and a lot of fun and a lot of connection. And so, I don't know, it just was a really good reminder for me that even in the seasons that feel the darkest, God's in them. Um, and he will provide hope and joy and encouragement, like little bits of it that you can't even imagine 
just like as little bits of light along the way. And you were totally that for me. Um, I know our group was that for all of us. So yeah, sure. So you really, I mean, ever since that have been one of my closest friends and you are absolutely one of my wisest friends, one of my most inspiring friends. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show today. You are really, like we talked about you being one of my pocket people, our little group being our pocket people, but you really are my go-to person about so many things. But there's this one topic in particular where you are like the person I think of. There are a lot of things going on in the world right now right? There are, every time we open up the news, if we can even stand it anymore, um, something has fallen apart or someone is angry or someone is yelling at each other, or there's a new issue that we're supposed to take a stand on, or there's some, like something new that we need to figure out if we're pro or against. And there's something new that we need to post on Instagram, our condolences or our support or our, you know, fight back against it. I mean, there just is so much going on. And I think, I know for me, I feel really overwhelmed by it. Um, and you are, always the person I go to in those moments, because you have this way of understanding what's going on in the world of kind of boiling, boiling it down into something that's like really understandable, pulling out the nuts and bolts of it. Um, you have, and and the way that you're living your life, you are engaging in these things in a way that is so positive and so proactive. You're really making a difference in so many different areas of the world. And I love the way you're doing it. And so I really wanted to like kind of pick your brain on how you do that and and hopefully come away with some ways that we can navigate this really crazy landscape a little bit better. And really, so the thing that, that made me think, yes, I need to have Emily on the podcast to talk about this is, um, as we're recording this, I mean, I guess it was maybe a month ago, there was, um, the shooting in Parkland, Florida. And after like in the aftermath, a lot of Parkland students have come together and they're really advocating for gun reform. And this is an, an issue, like without talking about it too much, this is an issue I really care about because um, I'm from Denver, Colorado. Col- Columbine was really, really close to me. I'm, well, I'm technically from Aurora, Colorado, which means that the Aurora theater, theater shooting was really close to me. Um, I Shootings and mass shootings have come really close to my life a lot throughout my whole life. And it's a, a major fear of mine, something that really has deeply impacted me. And so as you know, this group of students is speaking up about it. And as people are kind of, you know, up in arms for lack of a better way to say about gun reform, you know, half the people are saying like, no, you like, you know, second amendment. And the other half of the people are saying, listen, we need to change some things. I just was feeling really caught in the middle about it. And this was, this is a topic that I care so much about that so deeply impacted me that for the first you know, I I don't do this all the time, but I think a lot of times I kind of stick my head in the sand about it because I don't feel like I know enough to do anything. I I mean, I don't feel like I know the issues well enough to say anything. I'm afraid to say anything because I don't want to make half the people I know angry because inevitably they're split down the middle. I don't feel like anything I do is actually going to change anything. And it's just a really helpless place to be. And, And I think that I felt that more acutely in, in the wake of this Parkland shooting, because there was so much conversation about it. And this was something that like, I just couldn't, I cared too much about to ignore. And so anyway, that's, I think, I think a lot of us are feeling that are feeling like there's so much going on in the world. There's so much happening. There's so many things to be angry about, or that I feel like I need to know about, but I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't know how to know. It seems like everyone has a different opinion. What of the media can I trust? And then if I even can wrap my brain around what's happening, like, how can I even help? And so that's why I really wanted to have you on the show because you do that better than anyone I know. Um, and you're not a politician and you're not, 
you don't have a doctorate in this stuff and you're a, a person and you have, you have engaged with us in such a beautiful way. And so this is like a little bit of a heavier topic that we're, we're tackling, but I think it's really important because I know that a lot of us are feeling so helpless in this, but I think the world needs us. Like as women, I think the world, like it needs us to speak up and, and to, to engage with these things and to do something. Like if anyone can do something, it's us. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that you can kind of give us like just a flashlight and kind of, kind of guide us through. So all of that to say an enormous task I've just set out in front of you. Um, can oh, you yeah. just <laughs> tell us when I think of you, I think of the word advocate. And I know that advocacy has been a really like, that's, I think really where you started engaging in, in what's going on in the world and in other people's lives. Um, can you tell us like Tell us about advocacy. Tell us how you started thinking about this, kind of how you got involved, like fighting for people. Yeah, for sure. I think I definitely grew up with some awareness that maybe a lot of people don't have of the rest of the world. Um, because I think that my childhood probably started me off on this path, maybe in a different way than a lot of other people, because I grew up in a very diverse, multicultural part of Atlanta. And almost all of my friends and neighbors had recently immigrated from another country. So I was just fascinated with their cultures, fascinated with the way they lived and the different foods they ate and the different language they spoke. And I just wanted to learn all of it. Um, and my dad also traveled a lot when I was a kid for his job. So, you know, he'd bring me back something from somewhere and I'd look at it on a map and I'd learn about it a little bit. And I would think, Oh my gosh, I want to go to that place. I want to learn about that place. So that curiosity was always there. And then he would tell me stories about, you know, the Soviet, the former Soviet Union right after the Iron Curtain fell or places where there was just really difficult things going on. And we would kind of discuss, you know, how does your life look in comparison to their lives? Like what's different about the way you live than the way they live? And I think it was like an early lesson in empathy, honestly, like put yourself in their shoes and think, you know, how would my life be different if I was born there instead of here? So I started asking myself as a kid, but especially like in college, you know, why do I have what I have? Like, why was I born here? Why do I have an American passport that lets me in almost anywhere? It's like a golden ticket. And as I started to travel more, I really saw that. And I saw, you know, first you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky or I'm so blessed. And then you start feeling bad. And I think that's where a lot of people stop is they get in the guilt cycle and they're like, you know, they don't have as much as I have, or I'm so thankful for what I have, but I feel bad about it. And I think a lot of us stop at either guilt or maybe just, I'm going to appreciate what I have. That's my takeaway from this trip or this experience is I'm going to go home and I'm going to cherish my blessings. And that's good. But I think that there's a step beyond that. Um, I don't really think the world needs our guilt and I think it needs our action. So yeah, I've been trying as I've become an adult to take these kind of eye-opening experiences I've had and put some action behind them. And so probably the first time I got a chance to do that was right after I graduated from college. Um, I had studied anthropology and Spanish. So, you know, cultures and Spanish, um, it was kind of an obvious choice for me. Um, not a very practical one. I will say <laughs> I didn't have like a clear career path and my parents were like, so what's the plan? Um, I feel like everyone's but, parents asked that. So yeah. what are you going to do with this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I got, you know, an education degree or something like obviously useful. I got an anthropology degree. 
So they were very nice about it, but still it was like, okay. Um, so I went straight from college to Guatemala to this children's home, basically this orphanage. Um, and I was kind of sent there as part of an internship program. I didn't really pick it. I'm not like really a kid person actually. (laughs) Um, I didn't know anything about children or how to babysit or anything. And suddenly I'm at an orphanage helping care for 19 kids every day in this house, none of whom speak English. And I was like, what am I doing here? You know, I was feeling like immediate regret about this choice. (laughs) But um, it's turned out to be this crazy thing in my life that I'm still very involved in like eight or nine years later. So God knew, but I was like, get me out of here. Um, (laughs) So suddenly I was having to use my Spanish, which I had been afraid to do before. I was afraid of messing up. And when kids are running around going crazy, you know, the proper verb conjugation is not terribly important. The important thing is get the words out, get the point across, get them back in the house. Um, Stop. Don't touch that. That's hot. Yeah. That is, that's an outlet. Don't put your finger in it. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I just practiced really quickly, but I met all these kids and this orphanage has a sponsorship program where it's a little bit more involved than like a compassion or world vision sponsorship, but you can sponsor a child, you know, for a certain amount of month, you help pay their expenses and then you get involved in their life in some way. Cause usually these people have met the children they're sponsoring. So I started seeing all these kids with these sponsors and how much they value that relationship. So I signed up to do it myself. And since this little girl I sponsor was four, I've been visiting her in Guatemala and she just turned 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally just got back from there like a week ago or three days ago. And, um, yeah, we have had a great time. Um, now that she's older, you know, we can have real conversations. She can dream about the future. She can talk about the dress she wants for her quinceanera in three years, which she's very concerned with. Um, (laughs) and you know, I've just seen our relationship grow, but I've also seen with the other kids who don't have involved sponsors or have any sponsors, I've seen how they look at, you know, us and our relationship and they want that. They want a family. They want somebody to invest in them. So one of the times when I was down there, I was just sitting on the side of the hill. I think I was, you know, writing or something on my computer. And these two little boys came up to me and they knew me and they were probably eight years old. And they sat down next to me and they were like, Emily, you sponsor, you know, our friend. And I said, yeah, I do. And they said, you know, do you know anyone that can sponsor us? And I thought off the top of my head, I don't, but I'm not going to tell them, you know, I don't have anyone for you. So I asked them, you know, do you not have a sponsor? And they said, they use the word chosen. They said, no one's ever chosen us. And they said, I know I'm not little and cute. Like the babies, this is an eight year old. He already knows this. He's like, I'm not little and cute. Like no one's going to choose me, but I really want a sponsor. And like, if that doesn't break your heart, you might not have one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like hurting over here. Oh gosh. Okay. Keep going. You should see Steph's face right now. Um, <laughs> she's tearing up, but yeah, they just, they were like, no one's ever chosen us. And I was like fired up. I was like, this is unacceptable. And I think people would, if they knew about it. So I had this world race blog that I had just started because we were about to leave on the race. And I was like, this is going down. So I got on my world race blog and I just wrote a really honest blog about what it means to be chosen. Like why, you know, why is that so important? The idea that whether you were 
sponsored, adopted, or your biological family chose to keep and love you, we've all been chosen in some capacity and we all need that. And I hit send on the blog and was like, I don't know what that'll do. And suddenly I start getting messages from people and they're like, I'll sponsor one of them, you know, like I'll do that. And I realized, oh my gosh, like these, my words have some power. And so within a few days I got to go down and tell one of them that he had a sponsor. And like to this day, that's still one of the coolest moments of my life because he first like didn't even know what I was saying. Like his whole body started shaking and he was like having a meltdown because he was so happy. But at first I thought he didn't understand my Spanish or he was upset. And I was like, are you, are you okay, buddy? Like, do you know what I'm saying? And he's nodding, but he's like, he can't talk. He's shaking. And they said, he's so happy. He can't talk. And I got to tell him, you know, this person wants to sponsor you. They want to be your friend. They want to visit you. They want to care about you. They want to choose you. And he just lost it. And I was hooked. I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to speak up for people because this little eight-year-old boy, he had a voice. He came to me and he used his voice and he said, I want to be chosen. But his voice didn't extend as far as mine did at that time because of the circumstances of our lives. You know, I had a blog and the internet and I knew a lot more people than he did. And he lives in an orphanage in Guatemala. So I kind of handed him my megaphone for lack of a better word for a few minutes. And I said, okay, speak up. Here's what you want to say. And people responded because I think people really do want to help. I think most people have good hearts. They're just overwhelmed. And so they freeze up and they don't know how to help. And so people stepped up and they sponsored a whole bunch of the kids, like in a matter of a couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm still very involved with that children's home. And we can talk about that later, but that was my first, like, like I have a voice and I can use it to other people be heard. Um, and it's kind of addicting once you start. <laughs> yes. But, um, I know that you, I feel like there are like 8,000 examples of this in your life, but one of the things that I love that you've done recently is you have gotten really involved, um, in the refugee crisis. That's, I know something that has really, that's another thing where you've gotten really like fired up and, and said like, this is unacceptable. We need to be doing something about this. Um, and so one of the things that you did is you picked up and went to Greece for how long were you there? Six weeks? Yeah, I think about six weeks. Can you tell us like a little bit about what you were doing there and kind of what that was like and even like why you ended up deciding to go? But then also, you know, one of my favorite things that you did is that you brought back a lot of stories. And I would love to hear just a little bit about that because you were you were doing advocacy work there as well. Yeah, I did go to Greece and I think that was such an eye-opening experience for me, even though I had traveled a lot at that point that was kind of the culmination of a long process of learning for me. I think Um, I had started a few years back really caring about what was going on in the world. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but I had specifically been reading about Syria. Like every day it was in the news, you know, the Syrian civil war has been a massive world event. It's influenced almost every part of the world at this point, because all the different countries are involved in it. It's influenced everything from life in Syria to our elections. Um, And so I had been obviously hearing a lot about it because if you turn on a TV, you're going to hear about it. But I just started listening to the stories about the refugees 
And I started seeing beaches full of people in orange life vests and thinking like, this is just, this is getting out of control. You know, I'm feeling really, right. Oh yeah. People are fleeing Syria by the thousands, like by the hundreds of thousands, you know, they're, it's been going since 2011, this war has. So there's not much left there for them. Like their lives have been destroyed. And I think a lot of people did stay and fight for as long as they could. And at this point it's about surviving. Like, you know, you've got kids, you want them to live to adulthood, you hop on a boat and leave. And, um, you know, so I'm seeing this on the news through the filter of whichever news stations bias I'm watching at that moment. Um, so some people are saying, you know, run as fast as you can. Like, this is what I would do too. And some of them are saying, don't come to my country. You know, you might hurt me. Um, and I'm seeing all these different opinions and I'm thinking like, this crisis is so big. And I just kept hearing people refer to it as the humanitarian crisis of our generation. Like, you know, our grandparents had world war two and the Holocaust and the refugees that were left from world war two. And that was kind of on them to care about. And our parents had, you know, the fallout of the Vietnam war, or they had things like the Rwandan genocide. Like that was a huge thing in the nineties and it happened fast and it happened almost too quickly for the world to get there in time to stop it. And I think a lot of people have regrets about not stepping in. And a few years ago, I heard Gary Haugen speak and he's the founder of international justice mission, which I just really respect his organization and what they're doing. And he, he said this quote and it's just stuck with me and it's been like this motivation for me. Um, he said, when our grandchildren ask us where we were, when the voiceless and the vulnerable in our era needed leaders of compassion and purpose, I hope we can say that we showed up and we showed up on time. And it was the showed up on time part that I was like, gut check. Because I think he was actually talking about the Rwandan genocide and how people didn't get there in time. Yeah. You know, it happened in like the span of a month. They wiped out a huge percentage of the population and then the world kind of checked in and showed up and it was too late. Like they showed up to clean up, not to stop it. Yeah. And I just kept seeing all these refugees fleeing, thinking like, this is our thing. You know, this is the thing that our grandkids are going to ask us about. And what am I going to tell them? Am I going to say like, yeah, I watched the news and I felt bad and I sat on my hands and didn't know what to do. Or am I going to say like, in whatever small way I could, I showed up when it was still happening. And I felt like I have to show up on time for this one. And I, I can't fix the whole thing. Obviously I'm one person and it's a massively complicated crisis. You know, it's a whole country falling apart and a whole region being torn up by it, but I got to do something. So then I start Googling things like, what can I do? What can I do? And all these organizations were just saying, give money. And I was already doing that to whatever extent I could. And that wasn't doing it for me. I was like, I got to get my hands dirty on this one. You know, I got to go there. And nobody was really seeming to be taking volunteers at the time. And so I was just praying, like, I feel very strongly about this. I want to go there. And I think this was around Christmas of 2015, I'm pretty sure. And so I got an email, like, a couple days before Christmas from the World Race, actually. And a group of alumni, they were asking the alumni to go to Greece. And they were saying, we've been helping staff this refugee camp on the island of Lesbos where most of the refugees have been landing and we are just shorthanded. Like we literally need hands to make tea, wash blankets, like help dry people off. Cause 
They're literally being pulled out of the sea in January. It's freezing. And I was like, okay, I can do that. I'm not a paramedic. Like I can't resuscitate you. And I can't, I'm not a diplomat. I can't fix the war, but like I can make tea. This is something I can do. And I can draw you off. I can give you some food. I can welcome you. I can help you know you're not alone. Oh, yeah, I'm like, like I'm about to start crying. <laughs> like, you know, I can hand out shoes and like very tangible, very low skilled things that I can do um, with the skills I currently have. And so I was on that team so fast. Like I messaged them and was like, I'm in, let's do this. And pretty soon I was on a plane, like a week or two later. It was very quick. I want to say something really quickly in here that when you were in the process of deciding to go, that was the first time I was ever mad that I was married because (laughs) really truly, because I think that you're, you have been spending, you've spent a lot more time learning about and investing in what was going on than I had at the time. Um, but I, I knew enough and I knew enough to know that I wanted to help and that I wanted to go. And so as you were, as, as you were saying, I'm going, this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be for six weeks. My wheels started turning and I thought, okay, I can work from anywhere. I bet they have Wi-Fi. If I like take maybe a week off, like I can go and I think I can raise the money. And I mean, I'm like, I'm planning this whole trip. And then about maybe 35 seconds later, I remembered about Carl <laughs> <laughs> there's like another human in my life that I would have to talk to and it's his money too. And that he might not want to be away from his wife for six weeks and, or that he like, you know, would he want to come or whatever? And, and really it wasn't like, we couldn't make it work either for both of us to go or for me to go. And really six weeks is a really long time to be away from your spouse. And so, and so, but that was like, I think, a really key moment for me as I, as I was thinking about, you know, cause I spent a lot of time talking to a, a group of amazing women who are single and trying to figure out what that looks like. And the church makes this huge deal about how, if you're married, that's when you get to be a missionary. Like you have to have your partner and like, you know, I don't know. I think we just like make the church makes this really weirdly big deal about how you need to be married in order to join in the ministry or something like that. And that moment was such a key moment for me where I thought I'm actually Carl makes my life better in so many ways. I'm actually hampered by the fact that I'm married right now <laughs> because I cannot get on a plane in with four days notice and spend six weeks doing something like this with, yeah, w- just with such short notice. So anyway, I was, I was, I don't know what the right word is. I feel like it's jealous is a weird word to say, but, um, that, that was just a really important moment for me as I realized like there's that, yeah, it was, it was just an important moment for me. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. And I realize like disclaimer on the top of this, I know most people can't throw stuff in a bag and leave for Greece for six weeks on a week's notice. Like that is not, I work for myself and I am single and I don't have a family. So I'm in a phase of life right now where like, I can just kind of grab it and go. That might not always be true. <laughs> um, but if you are in that phase of life, if you are single and self-employed, you know, this is a great time to do things like that. Or if you're single or, I mean, if you're, you can, whether you're single or married or self-employed or work for someone else, you can also do like shorter term things. Like six weeks is a little prohibitive, but, um, you can do shorter things. You can go up and, or you can show up and you can make tea and feed people. And, and that could be, you know, in your own town or, um, we did something. Um, I think it was when we were working at Adventures and Missions, there was a giant tornado that came through and wiped out one of the towns in Georgia. And we like showed up and I don't even remember what we did. We were like picking up 
things or feeding people as they were kind of going through the rubble of their homes. And so anyway, um, that was sort of a a tangent. There are like a whole spectrum of involvements and, you know, this is somewhere in the middle of move there forever and, you know, become an Arabic translator and do nothing. You know, there's, (laughs) this was somewhere in the middle and this was what I could do right then. And this was the opportunity that was presented to me. And so I thought I got to take this one. So I did, I just left and I got there and there was a team of like 15, 16 of us that had almost all done the world race. So we were pretty equipped to just be flexible and jump in. But the whole time I was flying over there, I was like, who am I to be doing this? I have no real skills. Like I speak Spanish, but that's not really going to help. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not going to be of much assistance in this particular area of the world. And I'm not, a, you know, a medical professional in any capacity. Like I don't work for the UN. What am I going to do? I don't even know the laws in Greece. Like what can I do? And I was feeling insecure about the whole thing. Like, why did I, am I just going to be in the way, you know, and sometimes you could be, but in this case I wasn't. And I got there just ready to kind of sit back and not push into places where I might not be wanted. And I thought it was going to be like a turf war between the different organizations for who had authority over what part of it. And I got there and it was like, I walked down to the beach where there was a raft of refugees landing from Turkey and they're all freezing, soaking wet. It's January. There's hypothermia and there's a screaming kid and I'm trying to stay out of the way. And someone turns to me and goes volunteer. And I said, yes. And they handed me a screaming child. And I was like, this is about as like involved as I can be. You know, I'm literally holding a screaming Syrian child because his mother had passed out from uh, hypothermia and they were resuscitating her. And I have no qualifications, but here I am holding this kid. And so in this moment, what can I do? You know, I can, you know, try to comfort the kid, try to keep the kid warm show him that his mom is still there and she's coming back. And, um, it was just kind of a, it was a trial by fire kind of shock moment for me because I was going to be so careful to be prepared and be qualified to do this. And suddenly here I am holding this kid on the beach and this is like front lines. And, you know, I thought, okay, I have what I have and I'm going to do what I can do. And that was kind of the last moment that I acted with caution in the whole thing. You know, they told us in the training, if you see a problem, solve it. Like this is not a place for passiveness. This is not a place to stop and, you know, be super careful. This is a place where if something's unorganized, organize it. If someone has a need, meet it. And it might not be, you know, you can't meet every need completely. Like you can't give everyone everything they need, but find some need you can meet for them. Mm-hmm. If their cell phone battery is dead, charge it so they can tell their family that they made it. They made it across the water. Um, if they're thirsty, find them some tea. If they need more sugar in their tea, find sugar. If their shoes are, you know, have holes in them, find shoes for them. So it was like, it was a lot of snap decisions, like see a need, meet a need. And I didn't have time to overthink it. I didn't have time to get in my head and think, you know, am I the right person for this? It's like, this is a hungry person. You feed that person. So it was really good for me. It was very fast paced, I think, compared to how I thought it was going to be. And the other thing that I really loved that I went over there hoping to do was to listen to people's stories and to tell them to other people back home because I'm a storyteller um, and I love connecting people through stories and helping people learn to empathize with people who are different from them. So 
I started finding any English speakers, even the most limited English, you know, wishing I could speak all the different languages, but I couldn't. So I would find anyone that spoke any English among the refugees and just start asking them their story and asking them, you know, where are you from? Where are you trying to go to? What is life like where you're coming from? And I heard some really intense stories that you won't hear on the news necessarily because the news is interested in the big picture, which is great. And they're interested in the political ramifications of everything, but there's not a lot of like literal individuals from these countries getting to share their stories on CNN because Mm -hmm. it's just not feasible or they're afraid to do it because they're afraid their family's back home. There might be retribution if they tell the truth. So they'll tell you if you're sitting there, but they won't tell a news camera. So what did you find? Like, as you're listening, listening to these stories, what were like, yeah, what did you, what did you walk away with? I mean, other than like getting to connect with amazing people. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I kept walking away from every conversation thinking this could be me. This could be my friend. This could be my neighbor because these people are so much like us because people are kind of people no matter where you go. And I just kept meeting like lawyers and business owners and moms and teachers and like people that we would consider very normal average people. Like these are not, you know, war, they're not in the army. They're not like leaders of their country causing this problem. They're just average people running from complete terror and destruction. Um, and yes, there are some, there are some dangerous things going on too. And there are people who are using the refugee crisis for their own ends. But the average person I met was like, yeah, I owned a hair salon and then it got blown up and now I'm here. Or I saw someone killed in my front yard and I knew I had to, I had to leave. And I mean, I've heard some really disturbing stories, but also just until the bomb started to fall, their lives were really similar to mine. Like they were just going to school, doing their jobs, feeding their kids, living a normal life. Syria was a very successful, peaceful country until this happened. Um, and suddenly it was turned over. And I just kept thinking, if someone ever does this to my country, I'm going to have to run too. You know, I'm going to stay and fight as long as I can, but if there's no shot and I need to survive, like I'm going to pack my family up and I'm going to go. And I hope there's somebody to receive me on the other end because Mm -hmm. otherwise, what do you do? So I think that's what I took away from it was just how similar we really were. And I started telling their stories on my Instagram as much as I could, you know, sometimes I couldn't share their faces or the personal details, but whatever they were comfortable with, I would share. And it wasn't always just like, the bombs fell, the war happened. It was like, I'm a person, here's my life. This is what I do. And people were starting to email me from back home saying like, you know, these people are really similar to me. You know, I never thought about it that way because I just see it on the news and it's big and scary. And I never thought this is basically like my mom or my dad or my sister or my brother or me fleeing from a war. And so it was kind of like helping people to empathize, which is so important to put yourself in someone else's shoes and ask what you would do in their situation and then judge them according to that, mm-hmm. according to how you would judge yourself, not a stranger. And like doing what you would hope someone would do for you. 
you yeah. know, like that it's, that it's a lot more simple than I think we make it. Like if you're hungry, the hope is that someone would feed you, that someone would have compassion for you and feed you, not like judge the reason that you're hungry or the, you know, government that, you know, in a way caused your hunger or something like you just want someone to feed you or care about you or hold your baby. If you're unable to just, just these things are really complex, but they're also really simple. Yeah. There is a definitely a place for the big picture. Like I love big picture thinking. I'm actually really interested in politics and in, you know, the world events on a big stage. But when you're standing there and there's a hungry person, like you said, you feed that person. Like you don't stop and analyze how they got here. Like you see an injustice happening and you correct it. And later on you or someone else can think about the root cause of it. But when it's in your face, you fix it. So what do you like, you know, as there's so much going on in the world right now, and I know that it feels so overwhelming to me. And I think all of us, um, I have some like really specific questions for you about how we can engage this and how, like about what to do. So are you, are you cool with me just like hitting you with some really practical questions? Yes. (laughs) Um, so first of all, you've kind of talked about this, but like, I think one of our big hesitations is, So I know that one of the things, you you know, you said this as you were flying over to Greece, you were thinking, I have no skills. Um, (laughs) I I don't have anything to offer this situation to offer these people. Like I'm not a doctor. Um, I know that that's one of our hesitations as we're looking at the different things going on, whether it's like in our own backyard or around the world, what would you like, what would you say to us who are feeling like, I don't have the skills to, to do anything about this. I like, I don't have anything to offer. Yeah. I mean. I've been there for sure. And it's a kind of paralyzing feeling to think, who am I to help? You know, I don't really have the skills you're looking for, but that experience did teach me like there's a place for everyone and it doesn't have to be the refugee crisis. It doesn't have to be this thing that's so far away from you that it feels inaccessible. Like there is big stuff going on right where you live. I guarantee you. Um, There is sex trafficking going on everywhere in this country. You can learn about, how to look for signs of that and be on the lookout for it. Um, there's a lot of poverty in our own country and there are small steps you can take to help jump in and help meet those needs. There are a ton of children that need foster families. If that's, you know, a place that you're in, in your life, whether you're single or married and you feel like you could take in a child for a little while. I have several friends doing that right now. And that's like something I so respect because it's hard, you know, it's, Parenting alone is hard, but parenting another child that you didn't, you know, have from the start, that's hard. So that's a great way to jump in. But I think it starts even smaller than that. I think for me, it started a few years back when I realized we, you know, you and I had both been out of the country a lot for the several years in like the early 2010s, whatever you call this decade. Um, And then I had had some pretty big surgeries on my feet. And I had kind of been in my house for like another year and a half, like not paying attention to anything outside my own walls. And so I realized one day, like I'm a smart person and I have no idea what's going on in the world, like no clue. And I cannot speak intelligently about anything, you know, on a world stage right now. I can't keep up in a conversation about the news. And it was starting to make me feel stressed and insecure. Cause I'm like, I can't even hold my own at like dinner with somebody. If they're going to talk about politics, I just pretend I don't care because I don't know. Oh and my gosh. Actually, 
I feel like everyone's like, okay, so what do you do? Because I feel that way too. (laughs) Yeah. What did you do? There's so many, there's so many news outlets. There's so many, and there's so much criticism of the news outlets right now that everyone is biased. And like, um, how do you find information that you can actually like trust? And it's not so overwhelming. Some of the things that I find that if I don't engage with something right the second it happens, it's really hard to like scroll back to the beginning and figure out what is actually happening in a nutshell, which is um, something I feel like we should start like Emily's news network because you have a way of like, <laughs> <laughs> like finding all the information and, and boiling it down to something that's really understandable. So yeah. What did you do? Well, so I had this realization and I was like, first, my answer was, oh, I don't really care. You know, I'll just be uninformed. And like, I actually care a lot about pretty much everything. So that really wasn't true. Um, it was just that I felt insecure and didn't know enough to have an opinion. And so I don't know, like what the catalyst was for that other than just feeling like an idiot. But I one day was like, I'm going to know what's going on. Like by the next time we have elections, I'm going to know who I want to vote for or by the next big crisis, like I'm going to know what's happening. And so I thought about it and I thought, you know, world news seems better to me than just focusing on our country. So I'm going to download a world news app. And I chose the BBC because they were not an American news source. So I thought maybe they'll have less of an interest in picking a side on some of our politics and they'll be a little bit more big picture maybe. Mm -hmm. So I downloaded the BBC news app to my phone and it's still on the front page of my phone. This is like three or four years ago. And every day it'll buzz at some point and there'll be a news update. And I started reading, there's like top 10 headlines. And then there's, you know, everything else that you can read after that if you get curious. But I started with the top 10 stories in the world today. And I would just read through those articles. And it doesn't really take that long. It takes like 10 minutes. At first, it felt kind of like a job, you know, like I got to read the news today. But then I realized, like, I'm actually kind of interested in this. And so I would scroll through the top 10 articles every day. And on the BBC, I liked it because the first part of the article is just the facts. It's like, this thing happened on this day in this place. There's not really an opinion. Then there's a section where they say analysis. So you know, I'm reading someone's opinion, someone's analysis of this. And that's different from, you know, this plane crashed on this day in this place. And you can differentiate between facts and opinion and so that you can form your own opinion. And I liked it because it wasn't watching the news. So nobody was yelling at me. Nobody was telling me what to think. Nobody was, it wasn't a shouting match. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the news is, and I didn't have to be by a TV at a certain time every day to do it. I could be anywhere and just pull my phone out and go, what's happening today? And so I started doing this and I started noticing after a few months of it, like I my phone would buzz. I'd pull it out. I'd see an article and I would actually understand it. Like an article would buzz about the Syrian war or the debt crisis in Greece or Brexit or one of these big stories. And I wouldn't have to dig and start reading the background anymore because I'd been reading it little by little every day. And I was like, I actually get this article. Like I know what's happening and I could explain this to somebody. And it kind of slowly added up. And now, you know, like I don't feel behind. I don't feel like I can't talk about what's going on in the world. I feel like I can sit down at dinner with somebody and we can bring up a current event and I can know what's happening and I can, you know, have an opinion because you can't really form an opinion until you have the facts. So, I mean, people do it, but you shouldn't. (laughs) Um, Right. right. (laughs) So it's like, it adds up, you know, and 
now, three, four years later of just five, 10 minutes a day, you and I talk about the news and I know what's happening and I can kind of boil it down and explain like, this is why this matters. This is why this in context, we should care about it. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't this like big, I didn't take a class in the news. I don't have a master's degree in political science or something, you know, it was just little bit by little bit until it added up and you build confidence and you start to feel like I can do this. You know, the world's not actually as big as I thought. And you start to see like, these are the major trends or this is the issue that's like killing me that I really care about. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're all important, but for me, it was the refugee crisis right then. And I realized this is the one that I, that hurts when I read it. Like there's other ones that are important, but this is the one where I read it and I'm like, I, I have to help in some way. And that's kind of how I knew I was going to go to Greece because it started honestly with just reading the news, like something as simple as that. I ended up in Greece on a beach. So you just never know. You never know what it's going to lead to. Um, I'm glad that you said the thing about it's the one that hurts when you read it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. 
Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. Our church is doing a series right now on what they're calling holy discontent. And um, they've sort of been talking about calling and like what you're called to. And we have this really wonky idea of calling that like, there's this one thing you are destined to help with and um, that it's, it's more than one thing. And and it's, you don't need like a signed letter from the Lord. I mean, we have a lot of them in scripture where he says like, help widows and orphans, feed hungry people, give naked people clothes, like take care of each other, love each other. I mean, so we have a signed letter from the Lord, but we're waiting for like a personalized one. But that we don't need that. And, and, and also that we all are kind of wired to care about different things. Um, and two nights ago, we sat around as a small group and all went around to share the things that hurt us when we hear about them. And it was amazing. They were so varied. Um, and we could jump on board with the ones that other people were talking about. And, but we could also carry our own and we could help with, you know, we were like, how do we donate to that? How do we fix that? How do we give something to that? And that may not be my number one thing, but, but I can help with it. But also I'm kind of carrying something that, that I deeply care about and I can get other people involved in this too. And so anyway, I'm, I'm glad that you said that. Cause I think that that's another thing that can happen is that there is so much that it feels like we should care about and, and we should care about it. Absolutely. But I, we can't fight for every single thing as one person. I think that it's like in a way we sort of have to pick and choose, right? Yeah. Like I think, honestly, this is going to sound a little weird, but I think we're too obsessed with the idea of changing the world. Like our generation is super cause oriented and that's so great. Like that's my favorite thing about us. But because of, you know, the internet and social media, we're comparing ourselves constantly and we're seeing this one person who's like changed this huge thing. And we're like, Oh, I got to change the world. How do I do that? I can't be them. So I'm going to do nothing. You know, we freeze up and it's like, we're not really told to go change the world. We're told to go change something for someone like the whole thing that mother Teresa talks about with, you can't feed a hundred people. So feed one, you know, and maybe that'll grow to feeding a hundred and, you know, feeding is, 
it's a metaphor there. Like she was literally feeding people, but it could be whatever the causes that you care about. Like, don't make your goal. I'm going to change the world because you may end up doing that. But off the top, that's a pretty like overwhelming goal. You don't and start there. Yeah. Nobody starts changing the world. Like, where do you start? You know, that's too much. And I would just do nothing then. So find something that's like, this hurts me. Like I can't, I'm not okay with this. Like I feel a discontent about this. Um, this is unacceptable to me and plug in in some small way with that thing. And God sees the big picture and maybe down the road you will end up changing something big, or maybe, you know, you're going to end up serving the person next to you, which is really how most change gets done. Anyway, most things in the Bible, you know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have world news. They couldn't see what was happening across the world from them at the time the Bible was written. So they fed the person next to them, or they listened to the pain of the person, you know, their neighbor. And if everybody was doing that, then we wouldn't have all these big problems. And it is for sure some people's duty to go and get on a plane and fly to Greece. But it's all of our job to look at our friends and neighbors and ask how we can help and look at the people in our own communities and ask how we can help look at the problems in our own country look at things like widows, orphans, refugees that are here. There are people all around you in whatever city you live in in this country, and there's ways you can get involved with them, and that may lead to changing the world. But I think our goals have to be closer mm-hmm. and smaller, and then they will grow because it's so easy to just get frozen up if we're like, got to fix everything, got to change it all, Yeah, because that's just too much. You can't do that. Yeah. There's one thing I really wanted to to hear from you on because I think, you know, again, we have this idea that we need to have this certain skill set or yeah, that we need to fix everything that we need to, I don't know, like that there's this really specific set of skills that we need to have in order to make a difference. And you have been using kind of an unorthodox skill <laughs> of yours that I'm going to take a hundred percent credit for. You you deserve a hundred percent credit for it. <laughs> I was going to give it to you if you didn't take it. <laughs> Um, yeah. Could you tell us about your Etsy shop? Because it is so tied to everything we're talking about. Yeah. This is like literally, I think we overuse the word random, but this is random. Like the strangest occupation that I've ever had in my life. Um, I have an Etsy shop where I paint globes, like world globes, like with the map on them. And I make them for people's you know, events, their baby rooms, people are using them as wedding guest books all of a sudden, which is really cool. And it started because of you. Um, (laughs) We had like a secret Santa exchange. Our friend group did on this trip in Florida a few years ago and I drew your name. And if you guys don't know, Stephanie has really good taste and you know, she has very specific taste, but it's like it's really good refined taste. So I thought it had like a $20 limit on this gift. And I'm like, what am I going to get Stephanie for $20 that is not going to be stupid looking like that? She's going to think is cool. (laughs) And you know, it's going to match like her well-decorated office or house or whatever. And so I thought, I don't know. So I'm, you know, flipping through Pinterest and I see a painted globe and I was like, Ooh, that's cute. I go to target. I find a globe and I'm like, done. I can paint this. You know, I'm crafty this is doable. So I painted a globe with like the lipstick gospel verse on it. And also, if you don't know this about Stephanie, she's literally the most fun person ever to give presents to 
because she freaks out <laughs> and go, like goes crazy. And so I, I wrapped this globe up, gave it to you and you were like, Oh my gosh, it's the cutest thing ever. Like, I love it. And it's so the I'm cutest like, thing ever. I'm going to have to, when this, <laughs> when this episode goes live, I'm going to have to show a picture of it. Cause it's sitting in my office and I, I mean, I am obsessed with it. It's yeah. It has Habakkuk one five on it, which is my lipstick gospel verse. And it talks about look at the nations and watch and be amazed for I'm going to do things in your days. You wouldn't believe even if you were told. And so it's the nations and I, travel means so much to me and it's the world. And the pink is like my favorite color pink. Yeah. You <laughs> knocked it out of the park. It was amazing. Guys, I had no idea how to do lettering. So I was like stressing about this lettering and like redoing it over and over. And since then, I have kind of taught myself a little bit better how to paint words. But yeah, I just made this globe for Steph. And then you were like, sell these. And I was like, nah, this is just a present for you. Like, <laughs> not a big deal. And then you're like, no, make an Etsy shop. And I was about to leave for Greece. So I said, like, no, I'm good. And then I got home from Greece and you were like, now sell them. And so like, you're very affirming and very, you know, you get pumped about other people's dreams. And so you kind of, you and our little friend group kind of pumped me up. And so I thought, well, I need a new camera. That's expensive. I'll make an Etsy shop and I'll sell five globes and it'll be fine. And now it's like kind of my full-time job in a way, which is really weird. Like I basically make crafts all day long. Um. <laughs> so amazing. They're beautiful. Like you do such an amazing job. And so you named the the company Consider the World, which I love, which has so many meanings. But on your like Instagram for like your Etsy shop, like you talk about that, you talk about the refugee crisis, and don't you like part of the profits or something go to? Yeah, because I had gotten home from Greece and I was like, I'd been super involved, and suddenly I was back home, you know, in my normal life, and I was feeling like, okay, that was great, but what do I do now? I wanted to be able to donate more you know, intentionally and, you know, with more money than I was making, which was like nothing at the time. I wanted to be able to give more to an organization that I respect that's helping fight the refugee crisis. And, um, so I thought, well, I'll start this thing and I will give a portion of all the proceeds to refugee relief. And it's just kind of grown a lot, which has been amazing. And, um, but a lot of it has been from people that say, you know, I want to, buy this thing for my wedding, but I want to use my purchasing power in order to give to the refugee crisis. And they'll take a little thing and they'll put it next to the globe at their wedding. And they'll say, part of our special day is choosing to get to help other people. And I love that. Like I get messages all the time from customers and clients that are saying, I picked your shop because I want to use the power of the money I have to do something good. Um, which is a whole nother topic that someone should talk about at some point on your podcast, which is the power of purchasing with intention. Um, cause we can do so much with, you know, the things we buy and the places we choose to spend our money. So I wanted to be one of those places where people could spend money on a nice gift, but they could also help somebody in need at the same time. So it's kind of, yeah, I've become this crazy thing that I do now. I paint globes in my living room and I ship them all over the world. <laughs> I love it so much. And really, I love it because like you have paired something that you are good at that no one would ever think like being crafty can help the world, but it, but it can, and it is. And, and that's true for all of us. There's always a way for us to pair, um, to like any skill we have, whether it's pouring tea or finding shoes or, you know, drying someone off or holding someone's baby. Like those are very real needs all over the world. And so we all have something to give in that way. Like 
we all have lots of different things to give, but also the things that we think are totally unrelated are actually really related if we do a little bit of wiggling. And I love that you have done that. Yeah. I can talk about this topic forever. And if you have any, you know, if you want to talk through it about yourself, like feel free to send me a message, but I think all of us have gifts and skills. And I think if we purposely look around us and try to empathize with other people, I think you'll immediately see ways that you can plug in and start small and then it'll grow and you just don't know where you're going to end up. Yes. Okay. So, and before we finish up, I wanted to ask you our last three sort of podcasty questions. Um, so the first one is what has God been teaching you lately? Um, I think at least even in the past week, I've really been seeing how much more God sees the big picture than I do. And it's been really apparent in my life in the past few weeks because that orphanage that I was talking about in Guatemala, you know, I see the small picture. I saw how I was involved there a few times, how I sponsor a child. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, I really wish I could be more involved. But I didn't think there was any way to do that. And then I literally get a phone call from them the next day asking me if I'll join the board. And I'm like, I'm 30. I can't be on a board. Like, what do I know? But I went down there last week and I went to the first board meeting and it was like all these things that I've been like getting involved in small ways over the past few years and all these lessons God's been teaching me through my time there over the past few years, suddenly there was this big way to help. And I was like, oh my gosh, again, like God has a bigger plan than I had and I just didn't see it. And so it's been kind of like a a positive slap in the face in the past week. Like don't get so worried about the big picture because if you're faithful in the small things, like there is a bigger plan and you can't do the bigger plan unless you do the small things. So that's a big thing right me, for me right now is just be faithful in the thing that's in front of you. Oh my gosh. I seriously feel like that's like a mic drop moment. <laughs> I feel like everyone just like felt like they yeah got slapped in the face in a really good way just now. Um, okay. So this is like kind of a lighter question, um, but tell me something that you've been loving lately and it can really be like anything. Okay. It's my niece. <laughs> totally because- fair. I just had my first ever niece. Well, I didn't have her. My sister-in-law had her. Let's be clear. Um, (laughs) She's a champ. But yeah, I have one brother and he's my favorite. And my sister-in-law is my other favorite. And now Ava, my little niece, is my new favorite. And I'm super biased, but I think she's like the cutest baby ever, which I know everyone thinks. But yeah, I'm really cute though. Yeah. I just got to go there and spend the first week of her life with her and... I've never been an aunt before, but I am Tia now, her aunt, and it's like the coolest new thing. And all I want to do is go to Omaha, which I never thought I would say ever, (laughs) but I want to go to Omaha and hang out with Ava all the time now. So be an aunt. I recommend it. (laughs) Uh, Tia is also the very cutest thing to ever call an aunt. For those of you who don't speak Spanish, Tia is aunt in Spanish, which is very cute. they want to call me Auntie M, like from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's also cute. That movie creeps me out. I don't know why, like the flying monkeys or something, but I never liked it as a kid. And so I do not want to be Auntie M at all. And so I'm insisting Ava's going to call me Tia because everybody can say that. It's so easy. That's true. She'll um, be able to her, say that way before she'll be able to say mind. Yes. Tia. Tia. <laughs> Tia. Oh, that's so cute. Okay. So the last thing is, um, who is a woman who's been inspiring you lately? I think that Latasha Morrison, who founded an organization called Be the Bridge to Racial Unity. Um, She is someone that everyone needs to know about right now. Like I said before, you know, sometimes I realize there's big topics that I just know nothing about and I realize I need to care about them. 
And for me in the past year, that has been the idea of racial justice and racial inequality in our country. And I realize I should have cared about that from the beginning. Like, let's be very clear. But I just, you know, I cared about it in theory, but it wasn't like something I was actively involved in. It wasn't on my radar as much. And then I'm seeing all of these tragedies in the news thinking like, I've got to get this to the front of my mind. And so I joined this Facebook group that she started called Be the Bridge to Racial Unity. And it's it's a closed Facebook group. You have to ask to join it. And for the first three months, you can't say anything. You just have to listen and learn and read. And I have learned more from that Facebook group than I've learned from any source in the past year, for sure, without a doubt. Um, she started it. And um, the idea is that people of all different races can come together and elevate the voices of people of color and listen to their pain and their experiences and understand that we didn't fix racism, you know, during the civil rights movement. It's still very much happening in our country right now. It's still a huge problem. And there are ways that we can personally change the way that we speak about these issues and the way that we interact with people who look different from us. And so, I don't know, I just think she's so wise and I'm so thankful for this platform she started because it's an accessible way to start these conversations because they're scary. You know, you can be so scared of even opening up this topic because it's been such a place of hurt for so many people and it still is, but she's kind of paved this path of let's come around this table and let's listen to each other's stories. And, you know, they enforce the rules of the group. Like the voices of people of color are what counts in this group. And it's not people who look like me and my story. Cause that's been in the forefront for far too long, but it's teaching me humility. It's teaching me to listen to other people. It's teaching me a lot about our history that I should have known, but didn't. So I don't know if you want to have your world shaken up and understand the country you live in better. This is a great thing to join. Um, and just realize you know, you need to be quiet for the first three months and just listen. But I love her and I respect her a lot. Um, I'm in that Facebook group as well. And I think that you were the one who told me about it. Um, and I've gotten to hear Latasha speak um, several times recently, which has been awesome. But it has been amazing. It has been so good. I love the work she's doing. We're going to make sure to link to that as well as all of the things that we've talked about and and so much more in the show notes. Um, and I know that I kind of asked you to come up with a list of things that you, um, you know, different organizations that are doing good work, different ways we can get involved. Um, and I know you have a really good list. So we're going to include that in the show notes um, as well as all of Emily's info so that you can follow her <laughs> and connect with her and buy a globe and all of the things. <laughs> But Em, I'm so grateful for you and and your friendship in my life and the way that you mentor me in this um, in this area. I I feel like this the work you're doing in the world and and the things that you shared with us in this um, conversation are just profound. Like I I feel I have so many feelings about them, but they are all um, it's I feel so empowered and encouraged and challenged and just all the feelings, um, right now, but this is really important. And so thank you for speaking to us and thank you for, um, being such a good example in this way. And thanks just for being my friend. Yeah. I love you so much. And I don't know, I just want everyone to leave this conversation knowing that you can do it. You know, you can do something, you can care about something, you can know about something and you can fight for something and it can start right next door to you and it can end up someplace else. But the important step is just to decide I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to wake up and I'm going to care. And I think if we all did that, 
it would add up and it would be big and we would change the world, but it's together, not alone. Oh, I love that. You know what? I think that that is where we should end. I, I love this so much and, and really like y'all reach out to M because she'll like, you guys can talk through this together um, and we can talk through this together and we can keep talking about this, but there are needs in the world and we have gifts and we can pair those two together. And with a little bit of, with a little bit of research, you know, with a little bit of daily reading or with a little bit of um, intentionality or with a little bit of empathy, like we can make really big differences in the world and let's do it together. Yeah. I think it adds up. All right. Um, I, adore you. And I'm so glad that the girls got to hear from you. Thank you so, so much for being here and for sharing your heart and your wisdom with us. You are the best. I love you too. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, isn't Emily the best? I just love her and I loved this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. Don't forget that you can always find the links from the show as well as all of Emily's contact info over on our show notes. Just go to stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So, would you do me a huge favor and just take one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so, so much. And thank you to all of you who've left all of those beautiful five-star reviews already. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. Friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night, and I have to tell you, this one is so much fun. I can't wait. See you then.